there are a few things which life affords us, which should be experienced, I believe, in my humble opinion, by everybody before they die. For instance, everyone living on this island, I believe, should, if at all possible, at some point in their life, visit the Scottish Highlands. I've toured Scotland a couple of times on my motorbike and experiencing the terrain and the light and the colors of the sky and of the water is incredibly rich. The roads wind through the mountains and riding them is one of the richest experiences I've had the privilege of enjoying. I hope to go again sometime very soon. Now, out of interest, I know this is going to be a small minority of you, so you'll need to make up for that, but just... On three, give us a loud cheer if you've been there and you loved it. Okay, one, two, three. Yeah! Oh, either a few of you are very loud or a lot of you have been there. Well done, well done. Talking of incredibly rich, here's another thing which really should be experienced. As does extra special <laughs> sticky toffee pudding. It is my favorite shop-bought dessert. It is much better than you can find in almost any restaurant. I'm imagining more of you will have experienced this than even the Highlands of Scotland. So on three, would you please give us a cheer if you've tried it and loved it? One, two, three. <laughs> Some of you are silent. What are you doing? What are you thinking? It's been around for a decade and you've never... Now here's a picture of how I like it to be served. Hot with ice cream. That's Hagen darts pralines and cream ice cream there in the picture. And then cream, quite a lot of it, on top of that. If you are not diabetic or have some other sensible reason to not have this experience at least once in your life, I think it's important you do not let another year go by without trying it. Now, if you've given up desserts for Lent, you might want to put in a note in your diary to try it sometime, or even better, as Lent ends, doesn't it, next Sunday, to celebrate Easter by having it for dessert next Sunday lunch. As our lads were growing up, we've had the experience of clearing the dinner plates, the first course, in anticipation of the second course. And just picture this scene. Debbie's just taken the sticky toffee pudding out of the microwave, and the aroma fills the room. Our lads jump up to watch closely as it's served out. In fact, all three of us are looking pretty closely. And the question on our mind is, which one's mine? And which is the biggest? And all that sort of thing. And we have our, one eye on our own bowl and the other checking to see how much the others are getting. There is something inherent in us, in all of us, which means that even when we receive an incredible blessing, like as does extra special sticky toffee pudding, it's the treat someone else is getting which draws our attention. And we find ourselves asking, what am I getting? What am I getting out of this? Today is the final talk in this short series on the parables of Jesus. And over the last three weeks, John, Ollie, and Susie have explored parables. I'd encourage you to watch them online if you've not seen them. Parables that have dug deeper into our emphasis for this year. For Jesus, for Nottingham, and for you. And as part of this emphasis, there are opportunities to invite as many people as possible to hear the good news uh, of Jesus over the Easter season through various 
Sunday services, special services, the Alpha course, loving our neighbors through small groups, the things you just heard about in the announcements there. And so do pick up one of those flyers, the spring flyers here, which has a, you know, all the details of what's going on. This is an invitation to participate in what we believe God is doing. But what does accepting that invitation mean? What do we get out of it? What am I getting out of this? And this is a question that the disciples themselves asked. And if you've got a Bible, you might like to turn with me to Matthew 19. If you have a device, you're allowed to click on it as long as you don't go on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, WhatsApp, email. And I'm watching. In fact, God's watching. (laughs) Okay. In verse 27, Peter says to Jesus, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? In another translation of the Bible, the message, the question is even more clear. We have left everything and followed you. What do we get out of it? And Jesus responds to this question with this parable that we're going to look at today, beginning at the first verse of chapter 20. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I'll pay you whatever's right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his supervisor, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, friend, I'm not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? As we have explored over these last weeks, parables are world stories that help us see kingdom truths. And Jesus' parables... He used them so that the truth could be sought, it would stick, and it could be shared. And for many of us who have heard this parable before, it will have stuck. You basically know the story. You can recall the story that Jesus told. But as we've learned over the past weeks, Jesus' parables give us something that we need to chew on, to seek out, to uncover the truth. And this is one of them. For me, it wasn't until I began to study it in depth and reading a number of commentaries by biblical scholars that I understood what Jesus was saying here really in a way that I never had before. 
Let me tell you what the parable is not about. The parable is not saying that all of us are going to get the same reward no matter what we do in this life. The thrust of the parable is not actually about rewards. It's not about works earning us salvation. It's not even about the point in our life when we decide to follow Jesus, whether early on or whether in the 11th hour. Now, some have interpreted it that way, and we've all met people, or maybe we are people who have said things like this. Listen, I'm in my early 20s. There are parties to go to and naughty substances to ingest and fun to be had. Can't I live life to the full? And then when I reach John Wright's age and start getting interested in gardening programs, then I'll get serious with God because I'll still get to go to heaven. I'll still get paid as though I work the whole day and I'll have lived life to the full for most of my life. It's not about that. All of these three ways of looking at the parable do contain aspects of truth, but are not, I believe, the point that Jesus is really trying to communicate here. What this parable is essentially about is our motives for obedience. Jesus is saying to Peter in this story, you won't understand why you should live life my way, why it's worth giving up everything to follow me until you understand who you're following, until you understand God's nature. What we see in this parable is that God, who's depicted here by the landowner, is just extravagantly generous. Undeserved favor is given to us all. And until we get hold of that, we won't understand why we need to give ourselves entirely to God. Let's just take a minute to look at the context in which Peter asked, what do we get out of it? Just before Peter's question, a rich young ruler asks Jesus, teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? And Jesus talks with him about the commandments, and after the man says that he's kept all of them, Jesus tells him to give up everything and follow him. And this rich young ruler couldn't give up his wealth. You know, it seemed so valuable to him, and he walked away from Jesus feeling sad. And this exchange unsurprisingly, left the disciples a bit shocked. And Peter says, we've left, we've left everything for you. What do we get out of it? In other words, that rich young guy failed to follow you. He walked away, but Jesus, we have given everything up. We have done what you asked of that guy. Surely we've earned something for all that we have given up. And then we see Jesus answer Peter on two levels. So first of all, Jesus simply replies to the question directly. It's a fair question. And in verse 29 of chapter 19, he says this, Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields, whatever you've left for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. In Mark's account, he adds a little detail there. He recalls Jesus is actually saying a hundred times as much in this present age and in the age to come, eternal life. The blessing that we will receive far surpasses, is immeasurable in comparison to any sacrifice that we might make. And secondly, Jesus addresses what lies behind Peter's question. Haven't we done enough to earn something? And Jesus' answer is essentially no. Because like many of us, the mistake that Peter was making was that he thought God's favor is to be earned. 
But Jesus' response in his parable here is, don't think you've earned anything. This is about grace. This is not about putting in more years of service. This is not about doing anything for which God owes us payment. This is about who you are working for. In answering what lies behind Peter's question, Jesus describes what God is like using the picture here of this landowner. And a couple of things just to note. First of all, he went himself to find workers in his vineyard. He went to invite people to come and work in his vineyard. He was the landowner, and as such, he could have sent someone else. He could have sent his supervisor. We know he had one because he was involved at the end of the day in dealing out the wages. But he went himself at six in the morning, and then at nine in the morning, and then again and again inviting people five times, 6 a.m., 12, noon, 3, and 5 p.m., looking for people. And as we heard from Susie last week, God is continually searching for people, continually searching for individuals who, as Susie was saying, like sheep may have wandered off, or like coins are lost, or like rebellious sons are far from him. He went himself. Second thing we know is that he was extravagant in his generosity. He gave those who had worked less than a day, some who had worked just for one hour, a full day's wages. And this would have been really quite shocking to Jesus' hearers. One writer used the term unreasonable generosity. You can't reason it. You can't work it out. This is like, what? How could that even be? So he agreed to pay the first workers at six in the morning. He says, come work for a day and I'll give you a denarius. That was a day's wage for a laborer in those days. But here's an interesting little fact. There was a coin at the time called a pondion, which looked something like this, and it was worth a twelfth of a denarius. So given that laborers worked a 12-hour day, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., that's the rate per hour. And so he could easily have paid each person exactly the proportion of the day that they had worked and given the first guys of denarius, and then some others, nine pondians, and then six, and so on. In verse 11, we see that the workers who had worked a full day were put out by what this landowner did. It does seem a bit unfair, uh, you know, fair enough, but this parable is telling us that God is not limited by what a normal, fair, upright landowner might do. He chose instead to be extravagantly generous. This is about grace undeserved, unmerited favor. Michael Green, in his commentary on this passage, writes this, Length of service and long hours of toil in the heat of the day constitute no claim on God and provide no reason why he should not be generous to those who have done less. All human merit shrivels before his burning, self-giving love. Grace, amazing grace, is the burden of the story. What we get out of serving God is not based on our effort, but based on His generosity. Regardless of how much we th might think we have to earn it, God is extravagantly generous. He is unreasonably generous. A friend of mine, Rich Nathan, observed that in the passage here, we see four ways, four stages in the way that people relate to God. Some people respond to God's invitation to them. To come and serve him by saying no. No, I hear what you're saying, God, but no matter what you tell me, I'm not going to do it. Now, these people are not found in the parable because they say, forget it, I'm not going to go to work at all. 
The second group say something like this, tell me what I'll get out of it. And this second level of obedience, people begin to sort of bargain with God. And they say, God, if you give me what I want, then I'll obey you. You know, tell me how much I'm going to get for this, and then I'll cooperate. And these are the 6 a.m. people, the first hour people. I'll go to work in the vineyard for a denarius. That's the deal. I've done this much on the understanding that you will pay me what you owe me. They kind of bargain with God. I don't know whether anybody present has ever bargained with God. It's not a good thing to do. You know, God, if you give me a spouse, then I'll really commit to serving you. If you give me a better job, then I'll start giving. Beware of bargaining with God because you might actually get what you ask for. He might actually give you a spouse, the one you've been demanding, and then you've actually got to live with them. And come to realize that marriages, every marriage, requires compromise and patience and hard work. He might actually give you the job you've been demanding, and now you've got to work there. You've got to put in the extra hours, take on the extra responsibility, the pressure, there's going to be stress involved. Beware of bargaining with God and trying to control his freedom to be generous, which was what the first hour workers wanted to do. And they weren't put out with a landowner because they earned less than was agreed. They got the, what they did, you know, what the deal was. They got their denarius, but they were disappointed because they were paid the same as those who worked fewer hours than them, like me and my boys and our sticky toffee pudding. They were too distracted by what others were getting to enjoy the blessing that they had received. They could go home, feed their family. The third group say something like this, I'll, I'll, I'll obey trusting you. Unlike the first set of workers, no amount of money was actually agreed with those workers who joined in the third hour. That's 9 a.m. And as we read in verse 3, just a promise to do whatever's right. You go and work in the vineyard, I'll, do, I'll pay you whatever's right. And there's a, a greater level of trust and obedience in the 9 a.m. group when they say, you know, I don't have to bargain with you. My obedience is not contingent on me getting what I want and knowing that up front. I'm just going to trust that you're going to bless me. And then there's still another level of trust and obedience seen in the 11th hour people, the people hired at 5 p.m., who basically say, okay, whatever you say. Verse 7 simply says, you also go and work in my vineyard. So they get no promise of actually being paid at all, let alone how much they'll be paid. There's no guarantees. They just say, I'll go and work in the vineyard, and whatever he wants to do is up to him. And the ones in this last group were the ones who were blessed the most. No promises, they simply trusted the nature of the landowner. The point that Jesus is trying to get across here is not which of these four groups we might fall into, but he's teaching us that God's way of blessing our serving may differ from what we expect. God's sense of fairness is not the same as ours. He treats each of us uniquely, and we can be more than confident that it will be better than what we might call fair. In this parable, we learn that no one will receive less than what they hope for. It's just that some will receive far more. As it says in Ephesians 3.20, God gives us exceedingly, abundantly, above all we can ask or imagine. So what's the answer to Peter's question? We've left everything to follow you. What do we get out of it? Well, what we get out of it is, first of all, we will be rewarded. Don't worry, Peter, whatever you've given up in following me, you'll be rewarded a hundred times over. 
And then in answering the underlying assumption, look what I've done for you, surely I've earned something good. Jesus is saying, no, this is not about getting what you've earned. This is about serving the most generous, the most wonderfully extravagant person who is so full of grace. He loves to give us more than we can ask or imagine. Two weeks ago, Ollie shared an extract from this little book, Changing Lives. And when Will says, if you haven't read it, do pick it up. We're not just addressing new people there. If this is your church and you haven't read it, please take one. And, uh, and then do, by all means, pass it on once you've read it. And uh, it's full of stories of people in the life of the church who've experienced the reward of committing their life to Jesus. And we've also made some films. We saw one just now in the announcement slot there. And uh, in one of those films, which are on the website, I'd encourage you to have a look at them. One of them that I watched this week Johnny, in telling his story, he says, God's completely changed my life. It feels like it's got a lot more promise, a lot more hope. If you're here today and exploring what it means to follow Jesus, don't just take my word for it. Pick up a copy of that book as you leave and watch the films on the website and see what others in the life of this church have got out of following Jesus. We'll be rewarded. The second reason why we should obey God is it's the best way to live. God has a path marked out for every one of us. Jesus called it the narrow path. It's the path which leads to the most fulfilling and meaningful life. It's uniquely designed for every individual. Slightly different path, it's all going in the same direction. Now sometimes we are tempted to stray from that path, to choose a path of our own, which we think might be a bit more fulfilling. And we imagine that our choices, when we do that, won't make much difference to where we'll end up. After all, there are only perhaps little compromises, small excursions away from this narrow path. But the effect over time is that we can find ourselves quite away from what God intended and what he's calling us to. So imagine in the pictures here, this is the path that God has marked out for your life. Initially, when you start to stray a bit from that path, you're just a little bit away, like that little arrow with every intention perhaps of getting back on the path that he's set out for you. But the longer it goes on, the further from God you may find yourself. Don't wait until you're interested in gardening programs before you try and come back to what God has intended for you. The only way to grasp why we are best off continue on the path that God has set out for us rather than taking that, that fork in the road is that we get to walk a path where we are positioned to receive God's grace as it is freely poured out. When we get in touch with the goodness of God more and more, we see even though I don't understand God why you're saying I shouldn't walk away from my strained marriage, going the tenth extra mile in trying to save it. Even though I don't understand why you won't approve of me having sex with someone I'm not married to. Even though I don't understand it, God, I know you're gracious. And that means you intend blessing for me by following your commands. You intend to prevent harm and pain that I would otherwise walk into if I disobey. I can see that by nature you want the absolute best for me. Your commands spring out of an extravagantly generous heart. You design me and you know what's best for me. The more we obey God, the more we walk with him, we find actually his commandments are really good. More and more we see that God is just trying to prevent us from disaster by obeying him. What do I get out of following you and obeying you? 
the very best. Do you know, most people who come to faith at the 11th hour of their lives, like right near the end, they don't tend to think like this, wow, I got to live life to the full, and now in the nick of time, I've committed the little that remains of my life to Jesus, and I get to go to heaven. They think, what have I missed? I wish I had met Jesus sooner. And no one who is truly following Jesus now thinks like this, wow, I've been a Christian for 20 long years. Look what I've missed out on. Look what I've given up. But rather they think, wow, thank you for the life I've lived, knowing you. Thank you so much for saving me from such heartache and emptiness that I would have experienced had I not met you. I know many of you here. I've heard your stories. And you know what I'm saying is true. What do we get out of living God's way? Well, we'll be rewarded in this life and the next. It's the best way to live. And thirdly, we experience the privilege of working with God. What a privilege it is to walk with God and to have God call us to work together with him in his vineyard. You know, God is on a mission to save the world and make everybody, conform everybody to the likeness of his son. That's basically his mission. God is on a mission, and as we come, and this is a choice, into submission to his mission, he gives us a commission. The Great Commission, you can read it in Matthew 28. He calls us, so I'm going to be with you. Go and do what I've been doing. The Great Commission. The path of obedience is one where we get to work with him. Be on the same mission together. To walk with Jesus, serve his purposes, see his kingdom expanded. Do I have to work with Jesus? Do I have to go to work in the Father's vineyard? It's not about having to, like some begrudging obligation. The amazing thing is that we get to. It's a good thing when the nature of your boss is like this. Not all of our bosses have always been quite as the landowner is described here. It's a good thing to work for someone like that. And we experience an abundant life of adventure and fulfillment and purpose working for such a great employer if we make that choice. Have you seen the waltzer at the Goose Fair? It's an undulating boardwalk and mounted on that are carts. You can see here, that's what it looks like when it's going. Now, when I was young, before anyone had thought much about health and safety, it just, it never stopped. It just slowed down a bit, and it continued to move, and you had to kind of wait until you saw an empty cart coming round, you know, one of those little carts, and then you, you got on it. You just had to kind of step onto these moving boards, and, and before the ride then got faster and speeded up. And it can feel a little like that with opportunities of connecting with God. There are moments in our life when it kind of slows down, there's access, there's an empty, I'm jumping on. He's always available, of course. But like the landowner going out into the market to look for people to work with them, there are times when invitations come by us, like with the experience of a waltzer. And today is one of those times. There'll be some of you here who've been following Jesus for some time, but you know that you're still living a life holding something back. And rephrasing Peter's question, if I give up everything and truly follow Jesus with my whole life, what will I get out of it? You realize 
it really is worth your, to your total commitment. Today, God is asking you to give your life to him fully, to come back to the narrow path that he's marked out for you. Some of you have never made a commitment at all to follow Jesus, to say yes to God's invitation to come and work for him, work with him, to spend your life serving him. And even in hearing today and in the last three weeks, you're just realizing this is really the best way to live. I believe there are some of you here, God has brought you here this morning to hear this invitation. The waltz has slowed down. There's an empty cart. There's an opportunity. I just want to really encourage you to jump on. To step into a place of receiving God's grace, of saying like the 11th hour workers, okay, whatever you say. I'm going to choose to follow your lead without negotiating with you what I'm going to get out of it. And if you're in that place today, I just want to invite you to take that step. Step on the boardwalk. Jump into one of the carts. So as we finish, I'm just going to pray a prayer. And if this is the prayer that you would want to say to God because you're ready to commit your life to following him, to joining him, as it were, working in the vineyard. I don't mean anything to do with this church, but in the vineyard is uh, God's uh, fruitful place. I'm just going to pray this prayer. And I would encourage you in your heart to say it as I pray it. And God hears every thought. He will hear your prayer. God, I thank you that you are just amazing. I thank you that no matter how hard I try, I could never earn my own salvation. I could never be good enough to earn a relationship with you. I thank you, God, that you have come looking for me. You've come to invite me to join you. And this morning I want to say yes. Thank you for the invitation. I receive it. Thank you for everything you have done to make it possible that I could walk with you. I could walk with Jesus for the rest of this earthly life and into eternity. And I commit my life to following you, to serving you. Though I'm sure I'll fail, I'm ready to give everything up for your purposes, that I might walk that narrow path you've uniquely designed for me. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, we'd love to give you something. If you were to tell someone you came with or if you wanted to go to the Connect area, they'd love to give you a new believers pack which will have some books and booklets in it which will help you as you begin to walk out this journey of serving the Lord. So please don't leave without doing that. And if you would like someone to pray for you and just kind of seal the decision you've just made, do come up in a moment when others come up to the front here and just tell the person, I, d I just prayed that prayer and have them pray for you. So we have plenty of time now. We've got more than a quarter of an hour before your children want to see you because they're having fun. So if uh, you'd like to join me, I think Debbie and Tina. And would you like, please, to stand?